1: Coming up on episode 284 of Wheel Bearings, we've got special guest Kelly Funkhauser from Consumer Reports to talk about their driver assist study. We've got the Cadillac CT4 Blackwing, the Hyundai Palisade, Ford gets back into Formula One with Red Bull, the IRS updates their EV classifications for the clean vehicle credit, easy to steal older Hyundai and Kia models with of key, and VinFast delays its deliveries. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 284 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abuel Sammich from Guidehouse Insights.
2: And I am Nicole Wakeland from Let's Go with Auto Tell This Week.
1: And I am Roberto Baldwin, and oh man,
3: I don't know. Let's say Tom's Guide.
1: Okay. <laughs> and we're joined by a very special guest today, uh, Kelly Funkhauser from Consumer Reports. Hello, Kelly.
4: Hello,
1: fabulous to be here. We're glad to have you here with us. <laughs> so the the reason why I reached out to you uh, this time uh, was because Consumer Reports a couple of weeks ago published uh, a report. You you uh, did some comparison testing of driver assisted uh, driver assistance systems um, and had some interesting results. Let's put it that way. Uh, uh, and uh, well, first tell us what you do at Consumer Reports.
4: Sure. So I oversee all of the vehicle technology testing. So there's basically three different bins of uh, of the technology test. So the first and uh, the one related to what we're talking about today is all things ADAS. So all things advanced driver assistance systems, active safety, everything from the performance, the usability, the safety metrics, all of those things. And then the other two slightly unrelated to today's conversation are um the infotainment and in-vehicle technology usability, ergonomics, human factors, and last but not least, telematics and vehicle communications. So everything from those, you know, cellular and v x type of uh, cars talking to things areas. So all the fun stuff really is what it is. I do excellent. Um, <laughs> so. Tell us uh,
1: what was what was the approach that you took in putting together this test of these ADAS systems, and, and how did you select the vehicles? Um, you know, what what vehicles did you use? What and the systems that you tried out?
4: Yeah, so we have been testing in using essentially the same rubric, uh, test metrics, everything for going on almost six years now. So our first publication of uh, testing and, and putting these systems up against each other was back in 2018. And we looked at the same five categories that we're looking at today, which I'll get into in a minute. Uh, but back in 2018, those vehicles were selected. There were four systems that were essentially the ones making the headlines, ones with a name, right? Autopilot, co-pilot assist, and, and super and uh, pilot assist. So those were the four systems we tested taken us up now or back to two years ago in 2020, we did uh, similar testing in terms of the categories and and the the metrics and uh, procedures, but we decided to put in the best available lane keeping, lane centering system along with adaptive cruise control from each brand. Whether or not those were uh, the lane systems were truly lane centering or lane keeping, we wanted to put all of the brands in there to give consumers information kind of about where generally the brands you know stack up against each other. And then bring us to, to today. Um, we decided to omit those very few brands that don't truly really have a link centering system um, so that we could compare more of the apples to apples instead of putting a few of those oranges at the bottom there. Um, and so th- that's how we decided the systems and just one caveat on that, there are uh, some some brands that do have these systems that were not included in the report, and I, I, everyone's probably tired of talking about the supply chain issues by this point, but uh, we, as uh, at Consumer Reports, we purchase all of our vehicles for our test program anonymously at full retail price. And so we have run into, unfortunately, a lot of the supply chain issues in getting our our vehicles into our test program over the past, um, you know, little while. And so we were unable to get a handful of them, notably, you know, a Subaru vehicle, um, a, a Jaguar Land Rover vehicle and others into the, the test during that small time frame. So I think that kind of gives all the background and how we are and where we are today.
1: Great. So what, um, you know, I mean, these these systems, there's kind of a Pretty broad spectrum of capabilities across these systems, um, you know, from full hands-free systems uh, like Super Cruise and, and Blue Cruise to systems where you're very explicitly meant to keep your hands on the wheel. What? what how, how do you actually conduct the testing?
4: Okay, so I'm going to uh, start by not answering your question really quick to give more background. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. And in some of the feedback and conversations I've had in the past little while since these have come out is, uh, I like to start with what this is not, what we did not do. Okay. And what, what we did not do is test hands-free-ness. We didn't test the capabilities of hands-free, we didn't test whether or not you can be hands-free, any of that, that was not included. So what it is, is essentially adaptive cruise control and lane centering features that are active simultaneously. So no um, lane change assist, no hands-free mess. Many of the vehicles in the test uh, have those additional capabilities, but those were not part of the test. They didn't receive or lose points for having additional capabilities. So just, yeah, yes, there are vast differences in additional capabilities beyond these two features, but that is not included in the test.
1: Okay. So that right there, that, Explains some things, starts to yep. explain some things
4: in terms of the Exactly, results. exactly. I should have put a huge banner like across the top on everything to make it very clear. Cause, we kept yes, our
3: exactly. hands on the wheel.
0: Yes, <laughs> Did not yes, take exactly.
3: them off the wheel. We kept our hands
1: on the wheel.
2: That's right.
4: That's right.
1: So how, how do you actually um score these vehicles uh you know is it is it a, you know a, a checklist you know of here's the, the the capabilities they have and you know if, if it has these capabilities we we give it a point or you know do you actually go out and evaluate them what what is your your process for for figuring out what the scoring should be for each of these systems
4: yes all of the above um a lot of it is, you know, does it have this in terms of ease of use, right? So that's the the, the cleanest and clear cut, does it have it type of stuff where we're looking at, does it have um, effective and appropriate materials to explain these features to the drivers while they're in the vehicle? What do the symbols and on the controls and the displays and all of that look like? Um, is that cohesive, right? If If you have no idea what this crazy new symbol in your car is, can you look that up? right? Like, is there a way to figure that out? So ease of use stuff is the easiest type of checklist in terms of all of the other things. It really is performance evaluation. So we do a lot of that on our test track in Connecticut. And then we also do um, this time around, we did a 50 mile loop on public roads. So that includes both um, all of the neighborhood type streets, secondary roads and uh, limited access divided highways.
1: Okay. Um Okay. so let's go – I mean, you've got five categories that you're scoring uh, or five criteria that you're scoring these systems on. Let's t- go through them one by one a little bit and, and get a better understanding of what you're actually looking for. So capabilities and performance is the first one. What, what are you specifically looking for there in terms of capability? Especially since you're explicitly not looking for hands-free, um, you know, what other things are you looking for?
4: Right, so we're looking for how well those two features, adaptive cruise control and lane centering, perform. So, in terms of adaptive cruise control, we're looking at um, you know how well it performs in terms of acceleration and deceleration, both you know getting up to set speed or even when you're lowering the set speed. When another vehicle either departs the lane, you know how much hesitation is there before your vehicle starts to speed up again. Um, and also, you know when a, a car cuts in front of your lane, how quick is it to react and things like that. um for lane centering, we're looking at centeringness <laughs> essentially, right and and that doesn't necessarily mean like zero deviation from the center center point within the lane. We're looking also at some subjective measures as in terms of you know on curves is it is it hanging towards the inner or outer? If you're in the right lane, does it hang? towards you know the left side of that where the traffic is or towards the right you know all of those types of things um in terms of centeringness <laughs> um and then yeah so so comfort basically of the lane position while driving on all of these different types of road relative to other traffic so uh,
1: I, I i thought i found this one kind of interesting um you know with the with the scoring that you came up with i, I guess before before we go on um Can you tell us specifically which models, which vehicles you tested for Ford, for GM? And let's look at the top four, Ford, GM, Mercedes, and BMW. Which specific vehicles did you evaluate?
4: Yes. So for Ford, we used the Mustang Mach-E with Blue Cruise. For GM, we used the Cadillac Escalade. Um, For Mercedes, we used the C300. And BMW was the i4.
1: Okay. So... The you gave a, a, a slightly higher score to Blue Cruise versus Super Cruise, um, and actually an even higher score for Mercedes Benz on this capabilities and performance. What was, what what was it about those systems that got you scoring them the way they did?
4: Yeah, so um, the Mercedes one I think is is kind of its its own unique animal. It was basically seamless lane centering where. As a driver, you almost feel that the car isn't doing a whole lot of effort to keep you in the center of the lane. And by that, I mean the actual experience of when your hands are on the wheel and maybe, you know, you're avoiding a pothole or, or you know, moving your car over to one side of the lane to, to give threats to another driver. Um, it feels as though the vehicle is not intruding or applying any resistance to that steering wheel and you truly are a collaborative team. And then it very quickly, say you were to, and I'm not recommending you to, you know, go, you're avoiding a pothole and you go over to one side of the lane line, and then you were to essentially let go of the steering wheel, right? It very, very smoothly brings you right back to the center of the lane line or the lane very, very quickly and, and smoothly. So you're not getting a lot of this jerkiness or ping ponging within the lane. It is very decisive and confident. In terms of, um, kind of the, the, the two big ones that everyone's talking about, right? Blue Cruise and Super Cruise. So those are both either, you know, they have a little bit more hesitation or they have a little bit more ping-ponging when you're doing that. Now, I'm going to say with the, the Super Cruise, you actually can't do that. You cannot drive over to one side of the lane line within the lane um, without it deactivating. So, of course, that'll come in another category of collaboration. Um, but with the the Blue Cruise, you're not going to get that as smooth as the Mercedes. But they're all very highly capable, performing competent systems. So they're all up there. Uh, just some of those like variations.
1: Okay, let's let's move on to keeping the driver engaged because these are all every one of these systems today is a supervised system where the driver is meant to keep at least eyes on the road and in, in some and in depending on the mode, hands on the wheel. In some cases, they do allow some hands off, but you weren't looking at that. So how did you evaluate driver engagement?
4: Yeah, so uh, it's it's that collaboration first and foremost. So uh, in order for drivers to truly understand their role, they need to be able to be a team. So systems such as Tesla's Autopilot and uh, GM Super Cruise both deactivate in, in slightly different ways when the driver applies their own steering. And so that gives... Drivers, the perception that either the system's doing it or I'm doing it, but we're not doing it together. And all of the other brands out there allow this collaboration. So, again, I can, you know, slowly steer to avoid a pothole or give breath to another vehicle, um, or even just, you know, help it out if I want to on a curve. Um, you know, say I'm going well over the speed limit, not that I recommend that either. <laughs> uh, you know, and I know that this curve's We've, a little none tighter. None of us ever, ever exceed the speed limit. No. no, of course not. not <laughs> one. Exactly. So say I want to, you know, help it out in advance. You know, I can do that with these other vehicles, but with Tesla, as soon as you, you know, kind of start to apply your own steering wheel, it kind of pops out of the, of the auto steer, right? It turns that part off. Um, and now you're completely taking over, so there's no uh, collaboration. And then with Super Cruise, it's uh, I have had some GM people say well, ours doesn't deactivate, but then they say, well, you know, it it was active, and then it and now it's not active because it's in standby, which of course means it's now been deactivated, right? It's no longer active. So just okay, semantics. Means. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's the semantics of it. So the light, so the light bar is goes into standby, right? Which yeah. and when the light bar is blue, there is no steering um you know being uh, provided by the vehicle right so it's essentially right. off but it's now just in this limbo confusing state which they call standby um where it's going to be on if if it decides it wants to turn back on and now it's kind of like oh, i'm in control again right like it's it's not on and then boom now i just turned it back on again and, and not, it, it's just confusing so it's deactivated okay um so so really keeping the driver engaged is 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 about telling the driver what their responsibility is and allowing them to be engaged. So you, you can't keep them engaged if they were never allowed to be engaged. So, so that's definitely the most important part for that category. Fair enough. Uh,
1: although, you know, and I'm not sure if this really fa- if it's, if this falls into this category or one of the other criteria, uh, maybe, maybe it falls, really falls under clear when it's safe to use is, you know, that indication to the driver of, what is the current state? Uh, you know, what is the current mode? And should your hands, you know, be on the wheel? Are you know, should you be in full control or partial control? Um, and this is one of the issues I've had, particularly with Blue Cruise um, versus some other systems. And it, it's actually less of a problem on the Mach E than it is, say, on the F one fifty or the Lincoln Navigator, where those those other vehicles, the in the instrument cluster. Um, the color theme that they use, the, the visual theme that they use in the instrument cluster, uh, because they don't have a light bar or some sort of lighting system in the steering wheel, you're relying on icons in the cluster. So you have to be, you have to glance down at the cluster and and look. And particularly on the F one hundred and fifty, and I assume you've you've tried that one at some point, you know, because it's this predominantly th- blue theme. Um, it's not always immediately obvious when, especially when it has changed modes and when it wants you to put hands on the wheel. Um,
4: and, so I'm going to, I'm going to turn okay. this around back on you because I all already right. know where you're going with this and I have a rebuttal. Okay. <laughs> so, so first of all, again, we're, we're, we're not testing hands hand sure. or not, but, and, and I agree with you that the okay. feedback to drivers of whether or not they should have their hands on the wheel is confusing. Um, but, but, in terms of you know just this testing of, of the modes of you know let's call it the lane centering aspect being on or not, going back to what I said with the the super cruise example, right? So it needs to give you like it has to have that light bar because of its failure and and inadequacies of allowing the driver to collaborate with it because you have to know if you're doing something or it's doing it. Whereas all of these other systems, if I as a driver turn on the air conditioning, I expect it to turn on and not decide that, well, actually, I think it's a sunny day, but it's you know not that hot. So I'm going to turn it off until I decide that I want to turn it back on. As a driver, if I turn on a feature, it should be on. And because with Super Cruise, it has this standby mode where it now is in control of what mode it wants to be in, (laughs) it better have something to tell you that it's changed that mode. So all the other brands out there, again, not including Tesla, um, the system stays active. Even if you steer within the lane, even if you most of them up to your vehicle has a quarter cross the lane line, they're still staying active. And again, if I were to take, let go of the steering wheel, they're going to recenter me in the lane. Now, of course, how well they do that and quickly, that's another story, but they're all active. I'm in control. I know exactly what the system is doing because I turn it on. So... By saying Super Cruise has this beneficial light bar, they're doing that because they have a failure in another aspect of their design that requires them to. They better be giving people feedback that I just stopped steering the car. Okay, fair enough. I mean, i i, I
1: can I can live with that. That that, that no, that, I mean that's that's a that's a that's a perfectly reasonable rationale for uh, for how you scored it, and I, I think it makes it makes sense. Um, you know given given the way the systems are designed to operate that makes perfect sense. Um, all right so ease of use
4: Yeah so this is largely again about the uh, conveying to drivers what these systems are and are not capable of and being able to turn them on. so you know the actual number of steps, is also included. You know, it takes one step. The, the autopilot is fairly easy to activate, right? You push the stop down once or you push it down twice or if you're in you know, a newer Model S or something, it's on the steering wheel. Those are fairly simple to activate. Um, but a lot of the systems also, and similar to Tesla, require adaptive cruise control to be on prior to using the lane centering system. That again can uh, confuse drivers, especially when if, Turning on the lane centering component of the system is done through a menu versus a button, right? So if you have this toggled on somewhere deep in some menu, driver screen, center screen, wherever it was, um, and then you turn on the adaptive cruise control, if it's checked, it'll just all the now it's got lane centering beyond just adaptive cruise control, which also is, you know, not very clear to drivers, especially if, if they share the vehicle with another driver. Um, so that would, you know, not, uh, that they wouldn't get as many points in that area for, for that confusion. Um, again, it's, it's mode confusion at that point, right?
0: Uh-huh.
4: Um, and then also just the clarity and cohesion of the language of the vehicle. Again, so if there's some symbol on the steering wheel that you've never seen before, and there's no reference to it in any menu or anywhere, or if you turn it on and it's, again, just the, the same symbol on the display, you have no idea what this thing does. How could you ever even go and look up what it does, right, without knowing already something about this system? And so we're looking for cohesion. First of all, does it give you information in the car? Because we know, you know, owner's manuals, people aren't going to do that. Um, does it give
1: you... Assuming there's you know, even an owner's ex- manual in the car.
4: Which mostly there aren't, exactly. So, yes, all of those kinds <laughs> of things. Um go into the ease of use component of that, of of what they're calling it, how they're conveying it, um, cohesion in the car, and just simplicity and and clear language.
1: Uh, I'm I'm curious if, uh, as part of your scoring in this one, whether you gave any consideration to the branding that companies use, because this is one of the things we've talked about uh, in the past. Every manufacturer's got their own branding for different features like adaptive cruise control. Some call it intelligent cruise control, smart cruise control, radar cruise control, adaptive cruise control. Did Is that something that factored into your your uh, thinking on this particular uh, score?
4: Absolutely. I'm going to plug myself again real quick here. So uh, I, I put out another report in December. Basically, I think it was called CR's Guide to ADAS Usability Design. And in that, uh, that's a deep dive into exactly this, is yes, there's branding. Yes, I understand branding in terms of what they call it, um, try to sell a feature, all of that. But uh, I have been, my pet project for most of my life, even all the way back to grad school, was um, trying to clear the confusion about terminology used for describing and communicating these within or between consumers Dealers, automakers, the media, um, and so. Back in that report, if you want to take a look, I bet you would like that. Sam, actually,
1: that I, I, seems... I actually have read it. N- okay, no. that and seems see right you, up your alley. See yeah, you talk on this subject at. Conferences okay, great. Past, yes,
4: too, so, so, so yes, yeah, so so myself along with um, AAA, National Safety Council, JD Power, uh, Pave, and SAE as well. So the the SAE J docs, the standards that are out there now. J3063, which is the active safety terms and definitions, now aligns with uh, this glossary of terms called clearing the confusion. Uh Um, And so these are the words and terms and descriptions that are now the industry standard for these. Um, You know, (laughs) going back to your question about the branding, yes, that's important, but it's more important um, to have... The owners understand these features, but it's also important for them to be able to buy the features they want on their car, right? So if you go to a dealer and you want to buy a safety feature, you're ready to put down extra money for it. And then it's called some crazy, goofy name that you have no idea what in the world that means. And and the sales guy was at a different dealer or brand you know, a couple of weeks ago because the turnover rate within the industry is just crazy. They have no idea what it is. They remember from the last one or whatever, right? The, the automakers aren't going to be able to sell these features to consumers if they aren't using, you know, clear language to them. So branding is important, but to what degree and when does it become, you know, a, a conflict for everyone in the industry? All
1: right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you 100 percent, you know, that we need this standardization of language around what the functions mean. Um, what the features We all came mean. up with cruise control and then we stopped.
3: Yeah, <laughs> like everyone's <laughs> By like, the way, it has I cruise control.
4: Cruise control, like, again, I'm all about, like, let's be descriptive. Like, it's, it's speed, speed control, control or speed yeah. assist, right? Speed <laughs> control, yeah. so, so, part of this is also understanding that, you know, some of the ships have sailed. Um, and so working <laughs> off of those. But again, yeah, it's to everyone's best interest to just try to use, you know, cohesive language Standard. that just makes sense. Yeah. Bango.
1: <laughs> and, and, and as you said, you know, I think you know um, the you know where where the various buttons are. I think you know we're starting to get some coalescing on some of the iconography on the these switches, especially you know we've we've had consistent iconography for things like traction control on or off for a long time, but now um, you know lane centering, you know, basically seeing something that looks like a. A pair of lanes converging into the into the well, distance. Well sometimes
3: it's a steering wheel sometimes it's a steering wheel and a lane like yeah, there's two lanes but sometimes you have to have both of them on or sometimes you have to have only one on and <laughs> sometimes and where, where there's not it? another is it one bad, Is, it, is bad, it
4: buried on this, the left side of the dash? This, so the center? Yes, so much this. And I always figure if
2: we're this confused about it and like we drive that's all our these job. cars <laughs> that's a <our> job <laughs> and that's I still awesome. sit down and I stare at a car I'm like I don't even know how to turn this on what hope does a consumer have? <laughs>
4: exactly. That's human factors 101. Never blame I'm the user. If if I as an expert cannot figure it out, there's something going on here that is clearly yeah, a if problem. If I'm digging yeah. through
3: menu, or it's like, or it's it's a button. And you know those buttons to the left of, of the, underneath the steering wheel? You can't see them. If it's one of those, I'm like, why is it and one not lit? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's yeah. a hidden, like,
1: dark button here. like, oh my gosh.
4: Great. Great. Anything that
1: you would ever actually want to use while you're driving should not be buried under the left side of the dashboard.
4: Hey, 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 <laughs> hey, 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 you're asking for help. Oh, <laughs> <right, come> on. <laughs> he's going to come down. Calm down.
1: It's <Yeah>. <laughs> one that's... thing, you know, put your trunk release down there. Fine. Yeah, that's the you're trunk release area. Right. Yeah. When you're yeah. stopped
4: and actively going to. Yeah, anyway,
1: oh, I got to let people. All right, um, okay, clear when it's safe to use.
4: Yes. So so this is a, a category that is actually really important to drivers, but they may not understand it or oftentimes if, uh, may blame others for being human. Um, again, people don't read the owner's manual. And if you were to read the owner's manual on, and go by the, the prescribed, what we call ODD, operational design domain, given by the manufacturers, oftentimes it's still a guessing game because it's do not use it here. Do do not use it here. It may not operate correctly in these all, you know, all of the scenarios ever that have ever been invented. Right. And so then you are left as the driver to make assumptions on when you think that it is safe to use. Right. And that's that's not fair. That's setting up drivers to fail. And we've seen it time and time again. You know, the, the first thing when a crash happens, let's you know, when a Tesla, crash happens on autopilot, right? First thing we see by there, they don't have a PR department, By someone uh, that comes out and says, well, what was the driver doing, right? Usually
1: on Elon's Twitter feed. But something, (laughs) right again.
4: So the first thing we hear and see is, well, the driver was reading a book. The driver was watching a movie. The driver was asleep. The driver, the driver was what, right? And we never really ask why was the driver able or enabled to do all of these different behaviors or tasks in this system? Why does the system not not work or not allow the driver to use them in perhaps these environmental conditions, these roadway design areas, or even these you know distracting, being able to do distracting tasks while in the vehicle? And that's what uh, clear when safe to use means, is does the vehicle A not allow the vehicle, the system to be operated in the areas or roads or whatever, that is what the manufacturer says it's not designed for, that's up to the the manufacturer to put in that safeguard, right? Don't allow it to be used. If you can, you will. Um, And also making that very clear to drivers while they're using the system. If something is detected in the environment or the driver is distracted, right? it's, It's the onus is on the manufacturer for the system to provide some sort of warning to say, hey, something's going on. Be more alert, or you know, have some sort of an adequate uh, driver monitoring system that that will check to make sure the driver isn't falling asleep. Right. So, so this is a don't blame the driver category more than clear when safe to use because, you know, at Consumer Reports, more than just even in autos, we are advocates for safe products. And whatever it is, it's a you know a baby toy or whatever. If a manufacturer is going to put that product out into the world for sale and there are very extremely foreseeable headline-making risks, then that's often usually ends up in a recall, right? We aren't going that far right now to say that these systems should necessarily be recalled, but we are saying that there are very foreseeable risks when using these systems that have happened over and over and over again. And so it needs to be clear to the driver how the manufacturer is building into their design a safeguard to make sure that they have some responsibility in how these systems
1: are being used. Yeah, and you know, I mean, as an engineer, you know, when I started working on anti-lock brake systems more than 30 years ago, you know, one of the things that, that I learned early on working in product development was you have to think about the ways that a cons- you know that the driver is going to use or misuse the whatever it is you're putting on there and do whatever you reasonably can to mitigate any potential misuse. Uh, you know one and one example that I often give. You know, is one, my boss at one time. You know, we were out on a frozen lake testing out an ABS system, and he starts pumping on the brakes at about five five pumps per second. You know, which normally a driver would never do, but mm-hmm. it, it turns out you know that they had data showing that some drivers actually did that, and right. when that happened. Um, you know, if you didn't handle it right, you could end up in a situation where the system would just dump off all the brake pressure, and now you have no brakes. And, you know, that's something that, you know, we knew could happen, and, you know, we had to put in mechanisms in the software to, to avoid that happening. Um, and what do you think about um, driver monitor systems, uh, you know, and, and, you know, things like um, the, the infrared cameras we're starting to see on more and more vehicles now?
4: Yeah, so I am, I am the biggest champion of them, and, and we actually have it in our scoring at Consumer Reports and the overall score of vehicles. It's in our test program that if you have um, a, a system with adaptive cruise control and lane centering, um, starting actually with model year 24, which will be coming out this year, uh, vehicles are going to begin losing points from their overall score. And vehicles that do have it are going to be gaining points, and that's going to increase year over year for the next few years. So that the the delta, the difference between vehicles that that have adequate direct or infrared or camera based driver monitoring, um, are going to score much higher, just even in their regular road test scoring, um, than those that do not. And uh, yeah, go
1: ahead. Oh, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say the, the final cat. Excuse me, the final category, unresponsive driver, is that is that where you're taking into account whether they have. Something like that, or, or is that something different there? Or is it how, how the system responds to an unresponsive driver?
4: It, it's how it responds in this category okay. specifically, yes. But but that is also um, a factor of what type of driver monitoring system is equipped in the vehicle, right? If it's a put your hands on the wheel or apply torque to the steering wheel, um, which can easily be defeated or, you know, otherwise, then, you know, it's going to be much harder to detect that the driver is is inattentive and then do something about it but essentially this, this last category of unresponsive driver is um, if you have a mechanism to detect that the driver is not engaged to whatever degree, like it's not enough to just know that and be like, cool, bro, <laughs> not engaged, <laughs> like um, <laughs> do something about it. Right. <laughs> like again, safeguard the driver. And so the, this is exactly that. What do you, what do you do about it and, and how quickly and, and what is that process?
1: So one of my Other complaints, you know, besides um, you know vehicles that don't have a driver monitor system, uh, is with uh, how they detect hands on the wheel. Torque, Um, Ah. yeah, torque Torque. sensors are a terrible solution for that that problem.
4: They're they're a non solution. There are no data to show that they are better than nothing.
1: Right, you're like, hey, I'm driving now. I'm just
3: twitching you're just you're just creating twitching on in the lane which is terrifying to other drivers and yourself actually and
4: (laughs) i've seen we're part of consumer reports is part of the mit avt advanced vehicle technology Mm -hmm. consortium and we have videos of all of these drivers that drive all the types of cars right so we'll we'll have videos of, of people driving teslas where um they'll be doing whatever looking down at their phone or whatever they're doing And um, then they'll get this alert that pops up, you know, center screen, if it's a a model um, wire or or three. And and they'll see this and they'll kind of look up at the screen and see it. And they'll reach over and, you know, just torque the wheel a little bit and then go back to exactly what they were doing until the next one comes. Never looking at the road during that entire process. Right. So. uh, Yeah.
1: (sighs) Well, and the the flip side of that as well is, you know, and, and this has been one of my complaints with Ford uh, vehicles in the last couple of years because they chose to use a torque sensor rather than capacitive sensors in the wheel is I I frequently get when my hands are on the wheel you know if I'm on a straight road and I'm holding the wheel steady it's just I, get false, I get false positives yeah. to put my hands on the wheel and, my hands yelling at you the and wheel. you're
4: like what do you want me to swerve like a drunk driver right like yeah. you're telling me that's what no no no,
2: no.
1: Yeah, yeah no
4: yeah.
1: no, no not right. bad <laughs> all right so that great explanation of, of what you've done, and it, mm-hmm. it makes so much more sense now now that you've now that you've explained it. Um, you know the obvious elephant in the room. Yes. You know, as as someone who regularly uh, writes a, a, a leaderboard report on automated driving systems that frequently has Tesla at the bottom. You know, that actually always has Tesla at the bottom of the rankings. Um, I'm I'm used to the the grief I get when that comes out, mm-hmm. and the new one should be coming out no next week or so. Um, what how, how do you, you know, a lot of people still see Tesla as kind of the leader in this space and, you know, they came in, you know, mid-pack in your rankings. Um, you know, how do you see Tesla and, and what do you think Tesla should be doing differently?
4: Yeah, the easiest thing is have an actual adequate direct driver monitoring system. So first of all, their, their camera um, in their vehicle is not required to be used for autopilot. And again, this is autopilot we're talking about. We're not talking about all these extra features we're not talking about full self-driving beta um it it does not it is not a requirement to use autopilot which is the riskier of the two of those you know and, and I, think you've, right? I think
1: you've demonstrated you know that you can just sit there and yeah, hold up a yeah, picture yeah. of yourself in front of the camera because it's just an rgb <laughs> it's, camera it's uh, and yeah and fool it
4: right well and you or you could just cover it right yeah. like and then it's just yeah it's not required to be on um, for autopilot, that is. So, so that's the easiest thing is, is make it required, um, and also improve that hardware, right? The, make it infrared and all of these other things. Um, that's the easiest thing. And yeah, so I get a, a whole lot of hate and stuff, uh, on social media too. It's, it's
3: <laughs> uh, we all do. energizing it's more than coffee. Yeah. I'll tell you
4: that. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, again, we are not, this is not full self-driving data. We are not testing full self-driving beta because at this point it is not worth anybody's time or energy or sanity to to even test or report on it because it's just, it's a different animal. We'll call it that. Um, and so, so yeah, they haven't improved um, their regular, you know, autopilot in terms of allowing collaboration, collaborative driving and steering, right? You can't do that. They don't have adequate driver monitoring. What they do is stay very rigidly in the center of the lane for better or for worse. Um, and and that can be a negative in a lot of situations, especially say if there's a big truck driving on the lane lane, right? We've seen again through through some of these studies that, that we participate in where drivers in both super cruise and autopilot tend to allow the system to continue to drive, um, to steer on its own, into some closer more risky scenarios like that where uh, you know there's a, a vehicle in their lane partially um they allow that more often than in other systems that are, that have the collaborative driving because uh it's such a it's a small thing but it becomes a nuisance over time when you're continually it's disengaging you're disengaging it and then having to re-engage it over and over and over again um so that is a huge negative uh, actually for both of those systems so so those are some of the things that Tesla could easily do to bump up their score. And again, they just haven't done a whole lot on the autopilot side on those features um, in quite a few years now. Okay. Okay
1: Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Um, I've been hogging this conversation with Kelly, um, Robbie, Nicole. <laughs>
2: No, I feel like you've been answering, asking her the questions that I've been having <laughs> as you were going forward. And a lot of your explanations, Kelly, really, I couldn't figure out why some systems were weighted higher than others. I'm like, wait, that doesn't make sense. And then when you've explained sort of your rationale and how you've gone through it and you know, your process for what you evaluated, I'm like, oh, now I get it. Now it, makes, it does make sense given the parameters that you guys had for what you were evaluating.
4: Right, and I'll just I'll just kind of go back to the top of this hour where where I said you know we've been evaluating largely on the same metrics and, and everything now for for several years. We were the first organization really to put out these um, five categories. Since then, IHS um, came to us, asked us for all of the details on it, and have developed their test program based on ours. Same with uh, Euro NCAP as well, and the reason that we, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into developing these, wanting them to be robust and um, evergreen. Um, But also in 2018, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but people weren't talking about more than who was winning the race, right? Who's the latest and greatest and best and has all of the bells and whistles, right? No one was talking about safety. And since then we just see, you know, crash after crash after crash of, of, you know, vehicles that have these systems on. And so it just kind of reiterates, you know, the fact that we were trying to introduce safety into the conversation, um, why that was so important and, and still remains so today.
3: I'm curious for the, for the drivers as they're doing the testing, um, how do they, I think what happens with us a lot of times is that we get used to these systems because we're driving them all the time. We're driving multiple systems and we have an engineer who will sometimes tell us how it works. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, how do you, how, how do the, the drivers themselves, how do you make sure that they're not becoming comfortable to the point where they're more comfortable beyond the average driver? I think that's something that, that can happen with us where we're like, oh, well, it just worked. This, you just push this and this and then you go through this menu and you push this. It just works. How do you, how do you, is, is, how, how do you keep those drivers? Do you, do you switch them out or do they just have to be very uh, rigid in how they're, they're evaluating?
4: You mean within CR for testing these? Yeah, within CR. Yeah, so um, experience is actually a a benefit, not, you know, doesn't necessarily turn into complacency or anything like that, because we have um, this, we have the breadth of the market available to us, right? We're we're really one of the only testing organizations that have all of the vehicles all of the time, right? Um, And also what sets us apart is that, you know, we're not necessarily getting the highest trim line directly from the manufacturer being provided to us. Again, we're going out and purchasing these vehicles. We're also purchasing the most representative trim, um, the highest volume one that's being sold to to consumers. And so, um, you know, we have experience with both. We, we will rent um, higher trim line versions, and then we'll also see, you know, the different trims. So, you know, we're not becoming, you know, redundant and, and complacent in terms of these because <laughs> the technology, frankly, is just changing so fast that, that that would be kind of almost difficult for us to do at this point. But um, no, being able to compare across the market and then identify these nuances um, is actually the benefit that comes with a job. Um, because, you know, if I were to just go into A, B and C vehicles, and be like, yeah, they do kind of the same thing. Um, but to have the expertise and seat time of noticing "Go, wow, this does this one thing in a slightly different way. And noticing those actually is, is part of our um our expertise.
1: And and having those vehicles on hand to go back to back m- makes it yeah. easier to do that. Which we, we do. We typically exactly. Don't. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, Like I'll have a
4: Mercedes
3: yep. one week and then three weeks later I'll have a Ford.
4: Right. <laughs> like, well, well it's like... also good for my my sanity, honestly, because after this came out and everyone, you know, I get all the, the hate and stuff on social media. I've gone back and driven all of the vehicles again since then just to be like, nope nope it, yep, was, it, it right. was right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so good for my that's, sanity
3: too yeah well that's always the, the especially when you're doing data-driven the reporting where you're always like well what if i got like what if i got a decimal wrong what if i did the math wrong on that's this exactly, or what I did on... that's
4: what keeps me up and I, i'm like oh my goodness are they right am i biased am i just totally messing this up did i have like this uh, preconceived idea of what i want it to be and, and then I go back yeah. and check and I'm like, no, oh, you guys you are go just your messing You're just in, getting in my head. No,
3: no. <laughs> I go through my spreadsheets. I've woken up at 3 in the yeah. morning freaked Seriously. out about like a number. And I'm like, wait, is that the right number? And then what? I'll get up and then I'm like checking it and I'm like doing math. And it's like 3.30 in the morning. I can't see. Yes. <laughs> and I'm yeah. checking the article. <laughs> it's, it's about to go live in three fun. hours. I yeah. feel you. I feel you. It's very fun. Because <laughs> 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 you know All someone's right. going to be mad at you. always <laughs> so, like, so,
4: that's, so th- that's how you know you're doing good is, well, when, when both the, you know, the, the fanboys and investors as well, you know, like when, when they all hate you equally, that's when, you know, you,
3: <laughs>
1: you're like, all right. <laughs> well, as long as everyone's angry, that's
4: yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh,
1: the, the next time that you come back and revisit this, you know, in mm-hmm. a year or two, whenever it might be, um, do you plan at that point to, um, start to look at hands-free systems as well and, and, you know, maybe eyes off systems like Mercedes drive pilot that just got approval from the state of Nevada.
4: Yeah, this is a, an interesting topic. Um, I think that's not going to become part of this evaluation for the foreseeable future, especially because, um, you know, again, safety, right? So if you're going to allow the driver to take their hands off the wheel or again, encourage it, right then you better have some safeguard mechanism in there to ensure that their hands remain ready to take over control. If you're telling them they are legally and liably responsible to do so, um, don't set them up to fail again. Uh, you know, so if, if there's a, a mechanism and driver monitoring system component, you know, add on where they can ensure that the driver's hands remain at the ready and you're not holding a giant greasy hot hamburger and then a hot water, coffee, right, and then you have to all of a sudden take over, don't set them up for that, right? So um, allowing them to take their hands off the wheel may seem like this huge benefit, but at what cost does it come? Um, So I think, you know, if we start to see systems that are capable of um, ensuring their hands remain at the ready, um, then we might revisit it at that point.
3: Okay. Do, do we need, when you test those systems, I, I can't, I don't know what to do with my hands. So they're like always just hovering I know, and then I just I put them on the wheel. I don't, I'm like, you know what, and where am I going to the put wheel. these? Right. So what's the point? I like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Cause I don't yeah. trust robots that much.
4: Right. But, but Sam, I do want to get back to your point about like the Mercedes one, you know, their <clears throat> level three one that is slightly different because now they are taking the liability. They, right. they said that they are taking the, the responsibility for what the car does when your hands are off the wheel. So that. That does kind of introduce a new factor um, into the game. I'll have to see kind of what comes of it. We do have uh, one of those vehicles in our fleet that um, is supposed to be able to be updated. So um, let me let me take a look, and then let's follow up. More to come oh, on. i will have,
1: have to take a little trip out to Nevada. got yeah. to yeah. You go to Nevada.
4: Oh, to is it? Is it really? Yeah. Oh.
3: It's, yeah, it's geofenced to Nevada still.
0: Oh, okay. And it'll, it'll so, probably be yeah.
3: California next. I they know oh, they're, okay. they're, I talked to the, to the CTO and they're, they're working with the regulators in California. So they're oh, trying weird. to get California.
4: Okay. I did not know that. So that's, that's uh, interesting. Uh, that, you yeah, like, oh, oh, I don't want to go, go to Nevada. Be, that is not a wide consumer <laughs> I mean, product. No. Maybe,
1: maybe you could combine it. Uh, is it an EQS or an S-Class that you yes, have? Yes, EQS. So, you know, maybe you combine it with, uh, with doing a, a cross-country uh, charging evaluation you know, at the same time. I'm not signing up
4: for that. That does not sound really like <laughs> fun game to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're all Nicole, oh Nicole just yeah. did that a couple of weeks ago. With, I
4: did. How <laughs> many, do you, did you do a, a ratio of how many chargers were broken versus actually working?
2: Um, most. I didn't actually ratio it. I'm going to confidently say most. Either <clears> broken, <throat> fully, not working at all, or just throttled down so much. It's like, yeah, awesome. You plugged into a 350 kilowatt charger. Here's your seven kilowatts in July. yeah i
4: ain't got time for that yeah exactly i did not have time for it either but (laughs) well good for you i'm sure that that will be really enlightening and helpful information but yeah i'm not saying thank you all of my appreciation goes to you
1: well kelly we really appreciate the time you've given us today this has been a great conversation and, and we definitely have to have you back i I, I really appreciate the work that you do at Consumer Thank Reports you. and, you know, the, the, the advocacy that you do for safety. Um, I think yeah. you do great work and uh, keep it up. And, and thanks for joining us today.
4: I was happy to be here, and I also had a great time. So thanks to everyone.
1: Thanks,
4: Carrie. Right. Take care. <laughs> All right. Bye.
1: Bye. All right. With that, let's go into what we've been driving. We've uh, been driving. Wow. Who wants to go first? Nicole? I ain't been driving nothing, so I'm oh, just going to skip. Oh, I'll go first. Okay. I'll go
2: first. It's me. It's me. Okay, I am driving the 2023 Hyundai Palisade Calligraphy all-wheel drive. That's a lot of words. That's, I'm just literally reading the.
3: Again, marketing. Let's just go back to the whole marketing thing. Oh,
1: well, my gosh. The, the, the one I'll be talking about next week has, has even more words than that, I think, uh, which is the, uh, the Kia Telluride SX Prestige X-Pro V6 all-wheel drive. Oh, it's good nice. lord. Yours doesn't have V6 in there,
2: so. You talk about ADAS features being complicated. What the heck did I just buy? Like, how do you yeah. even know? Um, okay, so the Palisade three-row SUV. I like the the Palisade and the Telluride. I know Kia and Hyundai are like the same, but not the same. They're both great values. Like, they have nice interiors. They have a good va- good number of features. Um, I like the Palisade. I like this one, the calligraphy, which I want to say is at the top of the trim lineup. It's so fancy inside. It has, like, stitching on the seats that make a little upscale. It's got all the features. It's very comfortable. Uh, it's fun to drive. Uh, I took it out. And here's the, the plus one for Hyundai. So it was yesterday. When I got up, it was negative 12. Not with a wind chill. just straight up. Negative 12. Just just curious,
1: how far away are you from Mount Washington?
2: Uh, Far enough away that it was nowhere near that bleep it out. I I heard heard it it. was minus
1: 108 with the wind chill in Mount Washington.
2: Yeah, so Mount Washington is a weird little animal that even though it's only about an hour and 45 minutes away from me... Where it is, the mountains, location, whatever, it's its own little weather system up there. No matter what time of year you're there, it has different weather even than what's at the base of the mountain by far. It's its own little weather system, which is why they have that observatory up there that everybody saw in videos looking like something from like, oh, someone photoshopped this. Nope, nope, that's what it is. A building encased in ice for about two or three months out of the year. So I was not that close to that nowhere near that but we still have this crazy cold weather and the number of people in my neighborhood who i saw trying to start their cars that were like <laughs> they're not starting it was too cold i saw little AAA trucks going around to help everybody out oh. with batteries and jump starts like it was it was one of those mornings and i went out there and turned the key and it didn't even hesitate or not turn the key push the button didn't even hesitate didn't even good, think Good thing you had a push button,
1: because otherwise somebody might have stole it. But we'll get to that later.
2: Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, right. That's a whole different <laughs> story. But so I was actually pretty impressed that it started, was running with no problem. Because even sometimes in that kind of cold weather, your car starts. And it's sort of like, you want me to do what? Like, as it shifts gears and things, you can feel that it's too cold. <laughs> it just wants to warm up. It's like, everything's no. A
3: little,
2: yeah, everything's a little sluggish. Nope, this was fine. So plus one for uh, handling negative 12. Air temperatures in New Hampshire without any hesitation. Also, plus nine bazillion for having heated front seats, a heated steering wheel, and a heated second row. Um, No one was in the second row, but I'm sure my children would have been very appreciative because that's something that they normally notice when it's cold. Like, what kind of car is this that doesn't have a heated second row? Like, (laughs) a normal car. Get over it, child. But uh, so I, I really like I like the Palisade. I think it has, you know, it's that family vehicle. You're not just buying this probably if you're just a couple. It's got three rows of seating. It's designed to have a whole family in it. Um, it has all the, you know, a million cup holders. It has has a huge uh, center console that you can store. Like, I love that there's a spot for your drinks, and there's a spot like a flat, like the charging pad, the chi wireless charging is in there. But there's still a little bit of space there, so you could throw some stuff. But then you still have the cut, like the center console that has the cover on it, and you can put more stuff in there. So there is there's a lot of storage in this, and I appreciate it. It's a cubbyhole it. extravaganza.
0: It's a cubbyhole extravaganza. I, I also
1: like how uh, Hyundai and Kia have the uh, USB charging ports on the. Inner panel uh, on the seat back, the front, the front row seats, uh, so it's nice and easy to reach there.
2: Yeah, they, so
3: they like like make... down like you're like you're on a plane oh, where God. you have to reach yeah, down
1: like s- to the center console and you're I, in
3: the
2: back. feeling
1: around trying to find the. It's in the, the dark, or it's, yeah. yeah,
2: or it's inside, and you're like, I can't even get that angle to reach inside of that cubby to pull that. Where is it? Yeah, so um, they don't do that. the other thing. You know what I really like because that third row axis can be a bear for kids because if kids just flip over the second row seats, their feet hit the roof of your car and you have those nice little marks on your interior. Cause your kids ju- asked me how I know from days gone by. <laughs> um, but even there, even when there's captain chairs like this one had, and you can squeeze between it's still kind of a narrow fit. And if you're an adult, you're really squeezing between there's a button. I hate latches and levers and all these things from like, how do I get out of the third row? Someone, just let me out of the third row. Because if they don't let you out, if someone hops into the car, you're like, hey, still back here. <laughs> this one has this nice, easy button. It's right on the top of the second row. You push the button. Just bloop, push the button. The seat tips forward and slides forward. So it gives you, like, full access to the third row. So you can't be left back there by your friends either accidentally when they shut the door. And it's like, yep, you remember I'm back here? Or, like just to be obnoxious, like my friends are. It's like, let me out of the car. Um, So I liked that. It's it's like a little... It's a small detail that makes a big difference in your convenience in living with a car every day. Um, This one also has buttons in the cargo area that will flip down and flip up the third row and flip down the second row so you don't have to be running around out of the car like okay pull down the half the front you know the second row now do the now do the other half of the second row now come around the back and pull straps and get you no know, you can just kind of like smash all those buttons at once when it's 12 below and all of your seats kind of go down together so it just it's a little convenience thing that makes it a little easier less fussing around to try to get stuff in the car when you're switching back and forth from people to cargo. So, I like it. I like the Palisade. I think it looks good. I think it has great exterior and interior style. It's comfortable. It handles well. It has plenty of power. And it starts up when it's freezing cold.
1: Well, that is an advantage of having a brand new starter battery. You know, yes. <laughs> having, having a new car, you know, when when, you, when your battery is, you know, two, three years old, it's been through a couple of those winters, you know, then we'll see if it still actually starts up.
2: But I have had, honestly, though, I have had... Not, I mean, we don't generally get 12 below. That's, like, crazy talk for us. But even when it's really cold, we normally get at least a couple days of the year where it's, like, maybe, like, negative one. And we normally have a good stretch in January where it's, like, single digits. So still exceptionally cold weather that cars don't like. Uh, And I have had you know, new automaker cars. I've never had one that wouldn't start, but I've had some that literally did that like, and like, like it thinks about it. You have that moment of thinking, wait, is this not going to start? And then it kicks over. This didn't even have a pause. It wasn't even for a heartbeat. So I give it a golden star because it's like the coldest weather I think I've ever driven a car in. <laughs> I,
3: when I lived in, I lived in Kansas city for a little while and it was negative 45, the winter I was there. Ugh. And I had my little hot ninety Honda Civic, and this was in the mid to late nineties. Yeah. And I don't know what the battery was, but that car started every morning. Nope. I was like, I was a baker at the time. I've had a lot of jobs, so I had to get <laughs> up at five in the morning, and drive my little my little Honda Civic to the to the to the Perkins um, restaurant where I was a baker. And it just started all the time, so I was really confused
1: why people's cars were just like stuck. <laughs> like I'm like, what's going on? What's what happening here? Yeah, but that, I don't... that Civic had this tiny little engine that you know you could basically, if you if you needed to, you could pop the hood, just you know grab the belt, give it a yank, and, and it would start itself. It would
2: just start up on its own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, so I, I, yeah, I was not always not much inertia there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah
0: So
3: I'm still trying. I'm like, Wow, What was that battery? Because it wasn't a new battery. It was probably okay. the battery that came with the car. <laughs> So I always think about like what that battery was because then I find out later
1: I'm like, oh yeah, you were just lucky. Yeah, yeah.
2: that battery failed all the time. Your car was just the one
1: that worked. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, and how how much was the Palisade?
2: I don't. I just realized on the Monrani I have it has it is free. It's to be designed. I have TBD. I have absolutely <laughs> no TBD. I, you know they'll now see what is going to there's a value for
3: you. That's right? value.
2: I'm gonna look it up as we're talking here. Let's see. Okay. A Hyundai Palisade, 2020. And this is a 23. Yeah, so it's the 23. So, you know, their website's slow. It's thinking, it's thinking, it's thinking. It's still thinking.
1: Well, it starts at 35,550.
2: So, you got it. Okay, you got it twer- What's the calligraphy? The calligraphy
1: I, is forty-nine thousand five hundred. Forty-nine five. 50, okay. So
2: 50, and did I have fifty grand. 50 so like fifty geez. grand. And I had did I have extra goodies on here? Uh, no, I think most of what I have, I don't see anything that was like added. I think I pretty much have this trim
1: what, what color? Did you the have? way
2: this trim. The color on this is, oh, this is a great color name. I thought it was black, and it's not. Robust Emerald.
3: Ooh, oh, yeah. That's robust. Yes.
2: Yeah, robust. And you know I like what, emeralds, but I, I don't
3: want like, chintzy emeralds. I don't, no, robust. this is
2: really cool. <laughs> when you look at this, it, like until you're really right next to it, You don't know there's any green in this. It looks really, really dark. Sort of like a pearlescenty kind of black. And then all of a sudden the light hits it just the right way and you kind of cock your head sideways like a dog and go, Oh wait, there's some color to that. And it's green. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really pretty color. Well,
1: it looks like there's there's no options on there. Everything is standard on the calligraphy. Yeah. It Um, looks like it's just there's
2: no added features. Oh, except for I take that back. There are carpeted floor mats, which are listed ah. as an added feature. So okay. I can imagine that changed the price much.
1: $12,000. <laughs> $12,000 12, <laughs> yeah.
2: extra for floor
0: mats.
1: Uh, okay. Um, well, I had, um, and you know, this, this car was delivered the day before we had uh, our biggest snowfall of the season. We had eight inches of, of fresh snow. And so the, the afternoon before, um, they delivered a 2023 Cadillac CT4V Blackwing. Um, with the six-speed manual transmission, um, which uh, yeah. thankfully uh, it was equipped with winter tires, had, um, Michelin uh, Pilot Sport Alpine tires, uh, which proved to be very capable in uh, snowy weather conditions. Um, you know, they as long as, as long as the snow was not more than about wherever I was driving was not more than about hmm, say four inches deep. Um, then, you know, they, they managed to get a pretty good grip on everything and, and did really well. Um, they, uh, uh, you know, obviously, you know, with a vehicle like this, if it's got, you know, more, if it's, the, the snow is deeper than that, you're just not going to have enough ground clearance to go anywhere. And, you know, I have just plowing to you stop uh, here. No. I, I, I have, you know, or assuming you can even get started. You know, I have, uh, in the past, uh, a few years back, I had, uh, an Alfa Romeo Giulia Stelvio that was delivered to me while I was in Chicago for the auto show. Um, and that day when I was on the train coming back, we got a 10-inch snowfall. And that thing really struggled to get through the neighborhood. Uh, it, was, uh, it was not good. Um, but, uh, you know, and again, it wasn't because of lack of grip from the tires. It's just, you know, not enough ground clearance. There's nothing, you know, nothing you can do about that. Um, but um, let's see. The, uh, the the black wing is you know really what the ct4v just should have been period uh, from the beginning um, I had had one of these last summer uh, early last summer or last spring with the 10-speed automatic transmission this one had the six-speed manual uh, which is quite lovely um, and uh, this has a 3.6 liter twin turbo um, v6 uh, with 472 horsepower 445 foot pounds of torque Um, and with, with the, the six speed, you know, the six speed is, is a great transmission in here. It's a Tremec six speed, uh, with a, a Luke, uh, twin disc clutch, you know, so it should have, it should be plenty robust enough to, to transfer that power and, and be able to withstand lots of hard launches with this thing. I didn't do much in the way of hard launches because of the snowy conditions. Uh, and I mostly put the drive mode in, uh, snow and ice, which kind of backs off on the, um, the aggressiveness of the throttle input um, so you know, when you're stepping on the accelerator pedal it doesn't give you quite as much power as it would if you're in sport or track mode, something like that uh, but you know, this thing is a lot of fun to drive you know, when I did find some roads where the snow had been cleared and the, the pavement was, had dried off, it was, it was definitely a lot of fun um, so you know, these, these do come standard um, when, you, when you buy the Blackwing with uh michelin pilot sport 4s uh summer tires um and uh, uh you know this one uh was you know the fleet company had uh switched it over to uh the pilot sport alpine winter tires uh which as i said I was grateful for um big brembo brakes front and rear um i personally like the size of the ct4 um it you know the back seat is a little tight i can sit you know with the front seat positioned for for my frame, I can sit behind myself, you know, and my, my knees aren't really rubbing against the front seat. Uh, but it's, it's probably not someplace where you want to take a really long road trip for an adult. Um, but I, I, am partial to this more compact size, you know, it's about, you know, three series BMW three series, uh, Audi A4 sized, um, rear wheel drive, uh, no, no all, all wheel drive in this one. Um, and this is, probably the last that we'll see of a car like this you know this generation the ct4 Blackwing and the ct5 Blackwing are the last ones that we'll see like this from cadillac you know when when these fade away they will probably be replaced by something that is battery electric which will probably be quicker um but won't have quite the uh, quite the engagement you get from this twin-turbo V6. There's something and, about and the visceral,
2: manual. like the sort of visceral response and that you get from a car that you know, it's a manual and it, it sounds good. You can't get the sound. I don't care how they yeah. how many fake sounds they put into an EV. I don't care what they make it sound like. I mean, it could sound like the Starship Enterprise. I don't care. I kind of want it to. I want a car. I, I'm going to miss it when you don't have that grrr from a car. I'm going to miss that, Sam. You just got to make the noise yeah.
3: with your mouth now.
2: Just got to <laughs> say the grrr. Yeah, grrr. Like channel my inner 12-year-old and make car sounds. Is that what I have to do? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. That's what I do. Um <laughs> biggest complaint i had about this one and i actually forgot to mention it uh, a few weeks ago when i was driving the ct5 um is the seat controls um the the power seat controls for the front seats um the for the on the on the side of the seat between the seat and the the door panel you'll find the usual uh controls for moving the seat forward and back and adjusting the the seat back angle but then there's a, a a rotary controller combined with a, a rocker in there for adjusting the lumbar support and things like that. And it's kind of weird um, because you can't see it. Um, there, There's a uh, a tab on there on the rotary part of it that when you, when you reach down and rotate it, a co- the seat controls come up on the, the screen, the center touch screen. And um, you, you, Rotate the, the knob to go between adjusting the um, uh, the lumbar support. You know where you want the lumbar support. You know for, in terms of height and how much you want it inflated, um, or selecting the seat massager. And when when actually when I was in, with my wife in the CT5, it's got the same kind of controls on there for the seats. And she you know we were in the car and I was trying to explain to her. How to turn? She said, "How do I turn on the seat massage in this thing?" And I'm trying to explain it to her. Well, that's and a problem. It was, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was just impossible. Let me to explain. explain to you how this works. So first, just reach down there. Find, see that? You feel that round controller there? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now twist that. Twist it forward. Okay. Twist it forward again. So you, you, that's how you toggle between the the different settings on the screen. Is you twist it forward or twist it back? Yeah. And then you press. The, the rockers, you know, if you're in the lumbar support part of it, you press the rocker one way, you inflate the lumbar support, you press it the other way, it deflates it. And, and for the massager, you can change the, change the pattern. It's just a pain in the neck. It's just a bad, <laughs> bad, bad design. Um, very bad human factors uh, design there. Fair. Um, but um, that's, that's really my only complaint about this car. Uh, you know, other, other than that, you know, I was, I was quite happy driving it even in winter weather conditions. Um, it's EPA rated at 15 miles per gallon city, 23 highway, uh, 18 combined. Um, you know, I actually got about, uh, uh about 20, um, combined. So I did a little better than the label, which is unusual for a car like this, but you know, again, you know, because of the weather conditions, um, it, you know, it, uh, I wasn't driving it. Especially hard, um, but uh, you know it's 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 just a really nice car to drive. The uh, CT4 Blackwing uh, starts at sixty thousand four hundred and ninety five dollars um, with the options that I had. I had the uh, the Sky Cool Gray uh, exterior. Uh, Wait, that was an but, option to
3: get gray.
2: Sky <laughs> Cool yeah. Gray. It, it's uh,
3: it's I like gray. to pay. I like slag. to pay extra. Roberto, for it's not
2: gray. gray. It's it's sky cool gray.
1: Yeah, not only is it an option, it's a very expensive option. Uh, sky cool gray with jet black accents, uh, with leather seating surfaces, suede microfiber wrapped trim package. Um, uh, that's that's also known as Alcantara, um, and uh, a high performance steering wheel. That is a four thousand nine hundred dollar option. No, all yeah. all that is not something you should get. Wow. Alcaterra is the worst um, and then uh, this one also had the performance data and video recorder so if you're taking it to the track you know basically it uses the front camera uh, as a dash cam and, and there's a slot for a USB or I think it's a, an SD card uh, you can put in in the uh, glove box uh, that's $1600 and it it records along with recording the view from the front camera it also overlays it with a bunch of telemetry data about what gear you're in and and um, you know engine speeds and all you know kinds of other stuff that you can select on there. Um, so that's sixteen hundred bucks if you want that. Um, then uh, a few which other options. which you'll never use, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a few other options came to a grand total of seventy thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, any guest on the uh, delivery charge. Thirteen
2: hundred. Ni- I was gonna say fourteen ninety five at the same time. Fourteen ninety five and stick with it.
1: Okay, uh, thirteen ninety five. Oh. So Robbie got it again
4: okay, We are right in the
2: middle, we were pretty close Either one of us on the other side Oh, be quiet, you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: they, that, that sky cool gray um, Metallic is Is a very pale gray It looks almost white um, So, okay. you know yeah. <laughs> Fine It's the but, sadness but, but, but I like the look of the CT4 I, I like driving the black wing It's a lot of fun
3: Uh, Every day is like Sunday gray.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, Let's get into a few other items we had on the list uh, this week. Um, Let's see. First off, um, the IRS. uh, No, I don't want to talk about the
2: IRS because I did my taxes this morning, and I'm done with the IRS. I'm logging off
1: this podcast. I'm done. (laughs) No, but they did something good.
2: No, they didn't. They're the IRS. I find this inconceivable, but go ahead.
1: (laughs) So they... Um, They actually, uh, a few weeks back, we were talking about this uh, when they published the list of vehicles, which vehicles were eligible for the new clean vehicle credit and what price threshold they were at. And if you remember from the Inflation Reduction Act, um, cars are limited, are price capped at $55,000 and SUVs and trucks at $80,000. And there were some really unusual Choices for which which vehicles would be classified how uh, on the, the original list published by the IRA a couple of weeks ago, um, for example, um, the VW ID four, mm-hmm. two wheel drive ID fours are classed as cars subject to a fifty five thousand dollar price cap. All wheel drive models were capped at eighty thousand dollars. Why that
2: totally makes oh, no sense.
1: The the Cadillac Lyric very clearly a crossover SUV, you know, it was, it was classified as a car. Um, They, IRS got a lot of grief from this. They actually listened. (laughs) I bet. Um, You know, they, they, they got a lot of pushback from automakers and, and from other people. So they, uh, they went back and, and decided what they should have done in in the first place was to say, okay, we're just going to use the EPA classifications for these models. So however, However, the EPA classifies each of these vehicles, whatever vehicle category they put them in. That's that's the category we'll use. Which uh, makes sense. So so now all crossovers and SUVs, you know, are classified as crossovers and SUVs and subject to the eighty thousand dollar price cap, um, and um, cars at fifty thousand uh, dollars or fifty five thousand dollars. So if you're thinking about um, getting something now, it's it's a makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, I mean, it course. makes
3: sense in the sense that the need—that this should be the same price for both, but. But well, that's true. that's a whole other argument <laughs> that that I'm not going to win with the IRS and the IRA. No one ever whatever. wins
2: an argument with the IRS and nothing ever makes Oh, no, I have. I've gotten I've I I had the IRA.
3: Yeah, they sent us a letter once saying that yeah, uh, my I wife mean, wasn't in school. They're like, "Well, you 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 can't we we need proof or you owe us $500." And because my wife used to be a file clerk, I just like went over to the little <laughs> to our, our file cabinet, and pulled the paper, made a copy, sent it off. And they're like, oh well with this, you we owe you an extra fifteen hundred dollars. And then we, nice. we got extra out. money. Okay. So yeah, no, so yeah. I, I, just ha, keep,
2: keep, know, I keep have to keep good two records things to the IRS, but sometimes it's the weirdest I always feel I don't know. No, no, I, I love you IRS people listening to this. Please don't audit me. I just have issues. I have <laughs> always a challenge. <laughs>
1: um Okay. So um so that's uh that's that. Um I alluded to something earlier. Um, when you were talking about the Palisade, Um, there's been some reports uh, over recent months that uh, older Hyundai and Kia vehicles are very easy to steal. And in fact, uh, some insurance companies are even saying that we're not going to provide insurance for certain Hyundai and Kia models because they're so easy to steal. Um, And it turns out that um, back in the early, mid-'90s, they started, uh, on, a, on a bunch of cars, they started using um, an immobilizer system. So what they started doing was, in the key, this, and do you remember when cars used to actually have physical keys that so you had to stick in a keyhole and twist it to start the car? Back in the, the olden days, the yes. Yeah. Um, they, back in the 90s, they started putting a little chip in that key. And um, there was also a chip in the, um, in the steering column. And when you put the key in, it had to match And if it didn't match, the car wouldn't start. The engine wouldn't start when you turn the key. So even if you had the right profile on the key, you could turn the key, but it wouldn't actually start the car unless those chips matched. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that um, while most automakers, in fact, I think something like 96% of all new cars now have that chip immobilizer system, uh, even on cars that still have a key, um, The um, uh, Hyundai and Kia apparently – uh, as recently as 2021, um, most of their cars that still had keys um, did not were not equipped with this, which means that it was pretty trivially easily easy to steal these cars. You know, smash the window, uh, stick a screwdriver in the uh, in the, the the key or in the lock cylinder, um, pry something out, twist, give it a twist, and um, then drive away with the car. Um, and uh, so. I think Allstate and State Farm both uh, said that they're not going to provide insurance for those vehicles anymore in in some states. And I guess where this really came out, um, where it really became well-known last fall, uh, some people on TikTok started posting videos showing how easy it was to break in and steal uh, these Hyundai and Kia vehicles. As you Um, do. Yeah, of course.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, to be fair, my daughter goes to school in Milwaukee, and yeah. they actually sent, like, the, I don't know, safety services or whatever at her college, sent a thing saying, hey, guys, just as a heads up, if you drive under your Kia, be really aware, do this, do that. There's a big theft issue. It's, it's a huge issue there right now to the point that, like, guys, don't – if you have one of these and you don't have to bring it to campus, please don't. Like, they're – they, and this was issued a little while ago, that they were having problems with people just walking away with them. So I, I knew about this because of the – thank you, MSOE, Security Department, for notifying everybody. Like, be careful. If you're driving one of these, they can get stolen pretty easily.
1: Yeah, something like uh, I think 66% of all the cars stolen in Milwaukee last year were Hyundai and Kia models that yeah. fell into this category. And in Florida, um, more than 40% of all car thefts have been Hyundais and Kias. Um, yeah, so you know if you, you know if you Once are. Once it goes viral, everyone knows
3: how to do it. What are you doing yeah. this weekend? You know what? I was watching this TikTok. Stila I think I'm going to steal a Kia. Let's go steal a, a Kia or Hyundai. You know what? I've, I've always wanted a Rio. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now have just been dying know, for a Kia Rio. Let's go get ourselves one over there. I want one now.
1: <laughs> none, none of none of this actually applies to uh, any vehicles that have a push button start. So you know that palisade, that fifty thousand dollar palisade, you're golden, no well, problem. There you <laughs> <Ooh, thank> go. <goodness. laughs> um, but if you've got you know an older Accent or Rio or anything like that, you know from 2011 to 2021, um, they are apparently trivially trivially easy to uh, to abscond with. A um, Hyundai actually is offering a one hundred and seventy dollar kit. You actually have to pay for it. Ooh. Um, but, Includes, but I mean, it's an old car, I guess. Never mind. I
2: know. So they kind of are giving you, like... Yeah, but, you know, I mean... Yeah, they,
1: yes. I mean, they it, yeah. cheaped out on not putting this immobilizer in there. Yeah, a long time know. ago.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And there, there are multiple um, class action lawsuits underway. Are yeah. they so, really? So, so it'll uh, probably be free if you wait. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but by that time, your
3: cool. car will probably be your stolen. Your car's gone, thing. but
2: it'll be free to get the kit. You know what? Yeah. You no longer have.
3: Let's reintroduce the
1: club, everyone. It's
2: a, oh it's a bar. God, that. that's
0: what oh Kia is God. doing.
1: Kia is is uh, they're not doing this kit. They're just giving away a free steering wheel lock. So, uh, basically, a club. I don't know what brand it is, but the same same. Basic oh, thing. there you go. So, if you have a Kia with uh, uh, with a, a key, um, you know, go to your local Kia dealer. Uh, ask for one of these free steering wheel locks. Um, and um, you know, Hyundai uh, owners, uh, you'll have to pony up. Hundred and seventy bucks for a kit plus whatever the cost of installation is, which could be up to five hundred dollars. Yeah, that's not gonna Woo. be cheap. Yeah, so uh, so be careful out there. Be careful where you park your uh, your Hyundai or Kia with a key. Um, all right, uh, let's see what else we had here. Um, oh, um, Ford and Red Bull made a big announcement this week. Ford's getting back into Formula One with Red Bull. Woohoo! Oh man. Who? Uh, I guess. I don't, yeah. I don't. I don't. I. I only watch the TV
3: show. I'm sorry. I don't. I. I tried to get into. Oh, try I can't to survive. Yeah, I watched the TV show. I like the TV show. I. I as a child, I tried to get into watching sports, and I. I just couldn't get into major sports. And then I was like, well, I like to snowboard and ski and 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 skateboard and surf. so I'll watch those. Nope. Don't care. I just. Yeah. I can't watch things on TV
1: that are sports. I just don't care enough. But good job <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean jim farley was on stage in new york this week with uh with the, the boss from red bull christian horner and and their drivers uh to announce that uh starting in 2026 um ford was going to be supplying the hybrid system uh for the red bull powertrains uh syst- powertrain <laughs> uh on the the red bull and alpha f1 cars um so you know, Ford, Ford's not going to do the engines. They're just going to do the, the electrification component of it. Um, and uh, so that uh, with with the, the next generation cars in, starting in 2026, they're upping the performance of the, the electric component of it. So currently, um, the current F1 cars have 160 kilowatt motors, electric motors. They're going to be bumping that up to 350 kilowatts. Wow, that's about 500 horsepower of electric <laughs> wow. power. those but things have don't have weigh anything. <laughs> they're actually a lot heavier than they used to be. Um, they're they're actually up close to almost double what they used to be when I was young and I first started watching F1. When, um, yeah, but those were, were just murder mobiles. Yeah, they were. They, were, they weighed about a thousand pounds back in the 70s. <laughs> now they're almost two thousand pounds. So, <laughs>
3: which
1: but is between. The the battery on the the, the Hummer weighs more
3: than yeah. the entire between, car.
1: Between the turbo uh, V six and and the uh, hybrid drive, you know they'll have about a thousand horsepower. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and then um, let's see, uh, VinFast uh, is uh, they've delayed their deliveries again. They had they had hoped to no. deliver some some vehicles in December when the, they unloaded the ship in in Long Beach. Um, and uh, they didn't. And apparently they've they've delayed it again. Uh, apparently they've been listening to you, Nicole, and they're they're, they're <laughs> what uh, are they they're, doing? What's they're, their, let they're me working say. on software updates and and mm-hmm. other stuff. Good.
3: Just so yeah. Don't don't come out with a bad car. Yeah. I Just really hold. As, as, Just as, wait. Mu-
2: as much as like you hate to hear that there's been a delay. Honest to God, I'm happy for them because. Like make it right before you give it to us because if you well, give especially us the when car it's your first and it's,
1: product, that's just yeah. it. If you
2: give us the car and the car is not right, your first perception by the public is going to be bleh, and it's hard to overcome that. Even if you fix oh. whatever the issue is, you've got it. You got to get it out of the gate. So I'm hopeful that that will help them come out of the gate a little bit stronger in the U.S. This makes yes. me weirdly happy that they've just delayed. Like good, yeah, delay just, it if it's not ready. Just just hold make up. it right. Yeah, yes, don't make don't, it right.
3: I mean Volkswagen is still like reeling from putting out cars with bad software.
2: Exactly. And it's Volkswagen,
3: so, I mean, they've yeah. been making cars Who for people know 1 and they years. relatively
2: speaking trust. <laughs> yeah.
3: Just make you it know. make it Within make a it range as good of, as yeah. possible and then bring it out. Just delay it if yeah. you
1: have to. Some people yeah. It's fine. And then one last one, um I think I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, we talked about um Motor Trend, or it was last week, yeah, when, when you weren't here, Robbie, we talked about a story in Motor Trend um, that uh, Christian Seba did. Uh, he got an estimate for installing the Ford uh, Lightning home integration system in his house, uh, which came to about $18,000. Wait, uh, what? Yeah, it, well, it, he had a, a worst-case scenario. Yeah. Yeah, okay. He had a, a, a 1950s house with a detached garage and 100-amp service. Um, so he would have had to get a new... Uh, service panel, new new breaker panel, bump it up to 200 amps, um, and the he had overhead power lines going between the house and the garage, so he would have had to get that trenched to run the lines uh, to the I, to the okay. garage, and you know a whole a whole bunch of other rewiring, so it would have been about 18 grand. It okay. really
2: is like the worst possible.
1: Okay, that's uh, uh, I like, on want Like what? It was Cause...
2: not like your average okay. thing. It was like, oh, everything has gone wrong. This is how much you.
3: Work. Yeah, everything's right. gone off like, the rails. Like everything
2: that could go wrong, except like for we're like, using throwing in like a zombie we're... apocalypse. We're it's using pennies. <laughs> yeah, <We're> using <laughs> pennies to,
3: to to yeah. There's a bunch of pennies in my my. Bo- You're like, what? Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. remember that so, was a
1: thing. Yeah. Uh, so so Tom Maloney, who does the <clears throat> State of Charge YouTube channel um, actually did a video and I'm not sure, not sure when he actually published this. Uh, Oh, it looks like a couple of weeks ago. Um, he actually went through and explained, um, he he had this installation done at his house, um, and went through and explained the whole thing and breaks it all down, breaks down what all the costs are. Um, it's about a half hour long video, but if you're interested at all in this, you know, it's, it's worth watching this, uh, watched it the other day. Um, and he, (laughs) Tom's actually got a, a shockingly complex setup in his house. too. it's, it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous. Um,
3: why wait, wait, wait? Why does Tom? Does he? Did he explain why it's more complex? Is it well, more complex than it needs to be, or is it more complex because it's Tom and yes. it's his it's
1: his job. <laughs> it's his job. He's okay. Okay. You know, he, so he's got solar on the <laughs> house. Um, yeah, and uh, he's got other chargers there he's got a tesla wall box and you know various other things and uh and he's also got a generac uh natural gas and um generator whole house backup generator you know and so he was tying in the ford system along with the natural gas generator i mean it it, his his setup his installation ended up costing about fourteen thousand dollars which is not as bad as what it would have been for christmas wait does that include like the solar and everything No, no, the solar was all he already had. It's just it's just all the the electrical all
3: the insane stuff that he has. Yeah. But 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 zombie apocalypse we're all going to Tom's.
1: That's right. Exactly. (laughs) He will be the one person that still has power. Yeah. He's gonna be ready. If you watch The Last of Us uh, episode three. (laughs) When 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 the uh when when the uh cordyceps, you know, mutate and can start to take over our brains, we're all heading to Toms. We're all heading to Tom's. See, that's my my goal is to to have that.
3: But not like that.
1: That's, <laughs> not, but we're gonna have but he, we're he, gonna he have solar.
3: Batteries. We're gonna have v to L
1: in he, our in our house at some yeah. point. But yeah, not he, he all. Does, he does. go through the explanation of you know here are you know other con- you know more basic configurations, more standard configurations, and basically what it comes down to is at the low end you're looking at about seventy five hundred bucks. You know, for because it's four thousand dollars for the just for the Sunrun integration kit. And then probably about another thirty five hundred to four thousand for the installate for a basic installation, um, you know. And then as things get more complex, then it, it you know, obviously they obviously it's gets more expensive.
3: expensive. It's in this, does this in, in, include? Well, I guess every state has different like incentives, like California, like you can get stuff for like half.
1: Yeah, long, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if any of the incentives would cover something like this though. I mean, they cover things the like solar. Power,
3: well, you, the, you, if you put char- well, it depends. Like California, if you put a charger on your house, you get there's an incentive. If you do this, yeah. yeah, So it's it's your 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 cost may vary based on where you live, <laughs> what according when, to incentives systems.
1: One one thing I did notice from from uh, from the video, one of the things he had done, you know, he previously had a 150 amp service panel, he had that replaced. Uh, with 400 amp service, oh my gosh! Is, wow! And so he's got two 200 amp panels. <laughs> oh oh my, my gosh! Tom's living the dream. I don't. Yes. I don't know what he's running that requires that is much he power. Better? He he's, he's No, he's, no, he no, he's future proofing.
2: Ready. He is he's like, future
3: proofing though. Yeah,
1: I guess because
3: you know, How
2: he's he's going to be able, in the future. He's, he's going to
3: start. Tom's house is going to be a charging station at some point. You're yeah. just going to drive
2: well, up, charge your car, drive you away. Know, his, yeah, his,
1: his gas generator puts out 15 kilowatts. Plus, you get nine kilowatts from the truck. You know so you're looking at 24 kilowatts of power that you can get to your house. And he still, I guess the way the way he described it, he still doesn't actually have everything in the house hooked up to this, which makes me wonder what what he's doing because you know I looked it up the the average American household consumes about uh, a peak between about one to three kilowatts of power a day. Uh, you know no I mean that's that's the total that's the uh, continuous power consumption about okay. one to three kilowatts so about, 20, so about 30 kilowatts, a day, 25 to 30 yeah, kilowatts it, a day. Yeah, the, aver- the, the average is actually, uh, according to the Energy Information Agency, is um, about 29.5 kilowatt hours a day. All
2: right.
1: Is the, is the average electrical consumption for American household. Okay. And you know the, the, the peak power consumption is between one and three kilowatts. And I know when we had our power outage last fall and Ford sent over a lightning and I plugged everything in, you know, I plugged in two refrigerators and a bunch of lights and assorted a of other stuff, and it was still pulling you know like half a kilowatt. So, <laughs> was like, uh-uh. you know, <clears throat> so you know, it. Most people are, you know, I think, unless you are running, you know, a Bitcoin mining farm. In your in your basement, um, you <gasps> that's know, how Tom's going to need kind of power <laughs> That's that
3: what he's got, doing. Right? I am hoping that I see Tom on the on, on the next. Like, he's in. The, he's a really nice guy. He's yeah, very. He he's, he's 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 very smart, and he does a really good job of sort of yeah. explaining like all these things, like all like electricity. I really want to sit down and be like, so. Uh, <laughs> I know, I'm your house,
4: man. In Chicago this What's week? going on?
1: <laughs> um, but but hopefully. Um, uh, anyway, uh, you know regardless of that he does a really good job of walking through you know what all this stuff is what are the what are the components what are they doing and here's you know some different configurations and what does it cost you know and shows you the cost for like I say a basic setup versus kind of an all-in thing like he did uh, so you can get a better understanding of, of what all this stuff means so that the, that video I'll have a link to it in the show notes cool um, and then um, let's see Um, We had a couple of questions, comments. Um, Jeff D. uh, in the Discord asked, um, and this is also IRS-related, would a used Kona (laughs) EV priced under $25,000 qualify for federal tax credit on used EVs? Uh, What are the restrictions on used EVs regarding point of assembly and battery sourcing? Fortunately, for used EVs, it's a lot simpler than it is for new EVs. There are no restrictions on... Point of assembly or battery sourcing, so it doesn't matter if it was built in Korea or China or um, or Timbuktu. Um, they all, Timbuktu, they all qualify. <laughs> um, and uh, so, uh, yes, the Kona EV. If you can find a used Kona EV for under twenty five grand, you're good. That basically the only restrictions. And there is, I'll have a link to the the page that describes this uh, for the used EVs. The the income cap. Uh, is cut in half compared to new vehicles. So for new vehicles, it's three hundred thousand uh, dollars income, annual income uh, for married filing jointly, uh, or one hundred and fifty for single filers. Uh, for if you're buying a used DV, it's one hundred and fifty for uh, joint filing and seventy-five for single filing. Um, and uh, the cars have to be at least two years old. Uh, they have a full list of all the cars that uh, that qualify. So it can be any eligible fuel cell or plug-in uh, EV. That can be battery electric or plug-in hybrid. Uh, and the, for the, the plug-ins, they have to have a battery of at least 7 kilowatt hours. So like the original first-generation Toyota Prius plug-in uh, would not qualify because that was only like 4 kilowatt hours. Um, the Prius Prime qualifies. Um, so 2 years old and you have to be the second owner um so oh. after the second owner the third owner fourth owner cannot um not qualify you can't, yeah you can't sell it to your cousin right. and then he and then he
3: sells it to his cousin and then he yeah. sells it to his cousin it's yeah, yeah.
1: And, oh else one other thing you do have to buy it from a dealer because the dealer's got to process all the stuff so yeah. oh, no private party sales
3: i can't sell you my my kona yeah oh. i'm just going to tell you that the 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 mini se uh qualifies. And the mini essay is just there a great go. fun little EV for around yeah. town and just tearing it up in there back roads go. if you live near back roads.
1: Uh, and other and then, cars qualify I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Adam J on Mastodon had a couple of things. Uh he said uh curious if we've if uh, and he was referring to consumer reports, if they've tested or will be testing Mercedes Drive pilot level three uh now that it's legal in the US and how it is. Um so Kelly already answered that. No, uh, they have not evaluated that yet, and it's actually not technically legal yet. It, you know, it's not available yet. Um, there, there's several steps in the approval process. Nevada gave the first phase of that approval, uh, so it probably won't be available till sometime later this year. Um, and then I'm sure Adam, we'll we'll get it once we, yeah, once we get it. Adam also had a comment on the Polestar Two, which we talked about last week. Yeah, last week. Um, and uh, I said, just listen to this episode on the updated Polestar 2. Uh, I know your only complaint is the high belt line, but I would like to add an additional one that was actually the deal breaker for us. The center console still only has one usable cup holder, and you have to lose your armrest and storage just to use the second one. I hadn't thought about this when I drove it. But yeah, the second the second uh, cup holder is hidden under the, the armrest, uh, which you have to flip up to uh, to use the... Uh, the second cup holder uh, can't figure out how that made it through multiple model years, including the significant refresh. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, if you need two cup holders, then that, that would be problematic.
2: People under uh, automakers underestimate the importance of a good cup holder, which is there's some car, I think, I feel like it was a Subaru. There was it the Ascent. There's like 18 cup holders or something and they were all excited. I'm like, that feels like almost enough.
3: <laughs> Just enough. Cause you have a drink for now and then a drink for later.
2: Right. And everybody needs a drink for now and a drink for later. So, you know, you need all those very many spots to hold all the variety of drinks.
1: And you need, you know, spots, you know, for big water bottles and, you know, for your for your massive. Um, uh, what do you call those things from 7-Eleven? Like Big milk? Gulp. Big <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it is at 7-Eleven,
2: yes. I think? Big Gulp. Yeah.
1: Mega Gulp. Uh, OK, uh Finally. E. Butler. Um, on okay, wait. I'm going to take email. this one. So okay, this is ahead.
2: this is to me. So E. Butler sent us an email, and he said, "Hi there. I'm a Japanese listener, and I've been enjoying your show for a couple of years. Particularly, I love to listen to what you all three think of Japanese cars. In any event, I have a little tiny suggestion as to a Japanese word in episode 230, 268. I hope you won't be offended. I'm not with my suggestion. When Nicole Son talked about the color of the Mazda." The word that I couldn't say, he thought I didn't sound right. So basically, he gave me a pronunciation guide.
1: Uh, and, and you're assuming it's a he.
2: Oh, I don't know. Mikami? Oh, she. He, she gave me a pronunciation guide for how to say this. I was saying, I think, Takum Nuri. Tukum, I didn't know how to say it. So this person has laid out exactly how to say it. And it was about the color. And if I got it right, it's Takumi Nuli is how it should have been said, which doesn't look at all like what the word looks like to me as an English speaker. I don't know if I even came remotely closer to that, but is that how you would say it, Sam, looking at his I breakdown? I
1: think it's, ta- ta. uh, um, based, like ta- based on the description Kumi. in here. That, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the R I at the end there, because Japanese, you know, doesn't have that distinction between R and L, uh, the way we do in English, you know, he's, uh, they've got it here, you know, as, as L-Y as the pronunciation. Right. So newly, you know, although it would, you know, I, I don't want to offend anyone. And um, so I'm not going to try and pronounce it as a native Japanese speaker might. Um, but, uh, you know, th- that so- the actual sound there, I think for that part is going to be more of a cross between an R and an L. Uh, but the the rest of it, yeah, I think, you know, uh, Takumi uh, Nuli. Nu- That's what nuri. I'm thinking. Yeah, and it uh, says the stress like should
2: that. be on the first syllable of each of those sort of words. So it should be Takumi Nuli. Yeah, I, I'm guessing. So Mikami is that? I'm probably saying your name wrong too, Mikami. Uh, thank you for sending that in. Hopefully, I pronounced the word a little bit better this time. Japanese is a tough language if you don't speak it because you the, the sounds are very very different. I wish you'd record how it sounded. You need to send us a little audio yeah. file. Oh, see. every 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 <laughs> yeah. time we do uh, anything,
1: no, just any, send us for, a. For anyone that, that wants to send in questions, you know, if you want, uh, you know, please feel free to you know record a, a question and. Uh, put it something, you know, put it on, put the audio file on Dropbox or, you know, wherever, wherever you like to store it and send us a link. And we would be happy to uh, play your question and include it in the show. Um, and, uh, for you know, everyone, you can send us your questions at feedback at wheelbearings.media, uh, or at, uh, on, on Mastodon, we at, uh, wheelbearingscast at federated.press. Um, and, um, Or you can send it uh, to uh, the the Discord in the Discord, uh, as uh, uh, who who did uh, Jeff did? Uh, He sent us a question in the Discord. So um, thanks everybody. Um, Great to talk to you all, and we'll talk to you next time.
2: Next time.
1: Bye. Robbie's muted, so he can't say goodbye. Uh,
3: Bye. Sorry, the dog. Nico. The dog. Nico. Nico is very. She, she, she went out, and now she, she, I'm not paying attention to her, so she just barks at me now. That's like <laughs> her new thing. Like, you're not paying attention to me, so I'm going to bark at you. And she's like, <laughs> and then it just gets louder and louder. <laughs> she's got crazy face, which she always kind of has. She's just sort of a crazy dog. I know. She's just like, why are we not having fun?